Well, Paul wrote Titus a letter instructing him what he should do in helping the churches develop there on the island of Crete. Now, the church, church as needed pastors. They needed uh, multiple elders who would hold fast the faithful Word of God. And they needed to teach the people sound doctrine. That's First of all, we know that that is of the utmost importance. That, that is what church is about. Teaching sound doctrine so people would know God, so that they glorify God. But there's another main thing that pastors are to do. Not only, of course, there are a lot of things, but the, the two main things. Uh, the second one is dealing with informing people, or, or actually refuting people, that don't hold true to the faithful Word of God. They're not faithful to the very Word that has been given, so they don't hold fast to it. And so, the pastor is to rebuke those who are doing that. Now, that's interesting. You think, okay, just preach the Word, right? But no, we get it uh, constantly throughout Scripture, and we see it right here in Titus, and where we left off last week when we were in verses 5-9, through which told us about the qualifications of a pastor. Now, that may not seem too applicable to anybody here. If you're not a pastor, you can say, well, this doesn't mean anything to me. Wait till we get past the pastor part. But this is what you need to know, what pastors are about and what they're doing. You need to examine your pastor to see if he's doing these things. And uh, uh, any, any church that would be looking for uh, a pastor, the, those ingredients are, are key. And when you get into verse 9, then you get the two commands... If, if the pastor has these qualities about him in, the, in 5 through 8, then verse 9, here are the commands that he is to do. He is to preach the Word of God. He holds fast the faithful Word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he'll be able both to exhort in sound doctrine, there we go, I love that, sound doctrine, healthy doctrine, to exhort people with, with doctrine constantly. It just goes on and on. Why do we have to meet every Sunday? Why do we meet other times? Why do we have other Bible studies? Why do we do that? Because people will be built up and they will be exhorted in sound doctrine. That's, and the pastor has a lot to do with that. Or the elders. But here's the second one. And to refute those who contradict. So there are the two things uh, that are really important. Preach the word and refute those ones that do it. So the pastor is to feed the flock, give them a sound doctrine, and then also what does a pastor or shepherd do? Protect the flock. He feeds, he protects. He protects by warning the people about false teachers, and if there are false teachers, then to refute them. Uh, God has given uh, gifts to the church, apostles, prophets, and then pastor teachers so that people would be built up in the Word of God so that they can live it and also be able to give it. Now, if we didn't have pastors and if we didn't have uh, others, scholars and theologians, then our interpretations of Scripture would all be different. I mean, there are certain things in Scripture that are there that are non-negotiable and we can understand that. But there are other things that we go, what does this mean? Well, this is what this means to me. And another person, well, this is what this means to me. And all of a sudden you have a Sunday school class where you really don't have a teaching of the Word, but you have a pooling of ignorance. And well, this is what it means to me. You know what? I don't care what it means to me or you. What I care is what does God mean, right? And so therefore, that's why we have to have sound teachers who teach the Word of God soundly. Uh, and, and if we didn't, if we had that, we would have tremendous amount of different interpretations of Scripture. And so that's why God has given those particular gifts. Pastor, teachers, and, and the ones who uh, write and uh, get these out. You know, um, there are a lot of cults out there today, and they just keep multiplying. How would we know if, let's say, if we didn't go to church, or we didn't have pastors or teachers? How would we really know if the Jehovah's Witnesses are wrong or not? Oh, we just need to coexist with them. Uh, how about the Mormons? How would we know that they're wrong or not if we didn't have apologists or people who taught what Scripture is? Basically, you don't have to know so much what they believe. You just know what's in here and then you'll be able to uh, protect and defend the Word of God and refute those who are in error. Uh, so it's really a matter of knowing what, what is here. Uh, but you know, we could say, well, you know, maybe possibly they are right. 
And, and maybe we're right too. We could take the, the idea of the thinking of the world. Everybody's right. That's what you think and that's what I think. And let's all just get along together. Let's coexist. Everybody's seen that bumper sticker, right? Every time I see that, I go, oh. But in another sense, there is a truth to that. Coexist. We exist right along with them here. But uh, our different way of thinking and the way that people are going to go heaven to heaven, there's only one way that uh, we know. And that's what uh, we must see as, as we know Scripture. Now, why do we read so much about false teaching in Scripture? Sometimes it seems like it's repetitious. It almost seems like it's in every book of the Bible. And I think it probably is. We constantly see this and we say, okay, we've been through this, Dennis, why don't we just kind of skip over this part and move into the next part because we know about false teaching. And thank the Lord, you guys aren't into those wild different things out there and everything. Well, why, why aren't you? Well, it's because you read the Word of God. You study the Word of God. You're led by Spirit and you're not led into those crazy doctrines that are just immense in our time. Um, So you can say, well, it doesn't really apply to us, so let's just move on. Well, the thing is, it's here so often that we need to be reminded even at that. Jesus definitely wrote about it. We see that or or talked about it and we see it written in the Gospels. Then, of course, we see it in the book of Acts, especially when Paul called all the elders at Ephesus and said, let's meet together. You know, I... I, uh, taught you the Word of God night and day. I taught you the whole counsel of God. And they're going to be wolves coming in, you know, right into the church. And so we've heard that. We hear it constantly. But not only Paul wrote about it in the epistles, we also see Peter writing about it. He wrote a whole book about it. Then we have the book of Jude. And he wrote a whole book about false teaching. And then John also wrote that. And of course, first, second, third John, the same kind of thing is happening there. And he dedicated to who the real true deity is and then all the false teachings out there, what they're saying. So all sorts of warnings were given. We're going, wow, how often does this have to happen? We, we know about this. See, I, I know some of you might be thinking that because I thought it a lot too. I go, oh, here's another text. I've been on this so much. How do I say anything really different here? Um, well, a shepherd who cares about the flock not only is going to feed them, but he's going to guard them. And so he's got to watch out because the truth is always subject to attack. You have the truth. The truth has set you free. But is subject to all sorts of attacks from every angle out there, whether it be political, whether it be education, whether it be right in the church, right? Those things are always there. And, And so the pastor has to refute those corruptions and that's part of church leadership. That's uh, that's a major part. So when we look at chapter 1, verse 9, you see it talking about sound doctrine. And then you go into chapter 2. Now that's the last verse that's where we cut off. It's kind of interesting. Okay, there's a piece of bread. Now you go to chapter 2, verse 1, which is not where we're going to be at today, but we'll be at next week, Lord willing. If He doesn't come back beforehand, that would be okay, wouldn't it? <laughs> But chapter 2, verse 1, But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for, what? Sound doctrine. There's our other piece of bread. Oh, turkey sandwiches. You guys had had a lot of turkey left over, right? Either turn them into turkey pies, right? Or, or turkey sandwiches. I love turkey sandwiches. Uh, just go off the subject for a moment with a really good Pepsi Cola. Iced. Oh, it's so good. Some people like mayonnaise. Okay, let's go back. But we got a sandwich, right? We've got a piece of bread here. That's doctrine. Piece of bread here, doctrine. And what do we put in the middle? Well, in verses 10 through 16 is what we put in the middle. It's kind of rather distasteful. It's a bit of a bitter taste as it commands to reprove severely those who contradict sound doctrine. That's our sandwich for the day. The bread's okay, but man, what's in the middle? That's why Paul says, you better take this seriously. Titus, I want you to know how important this is. The flocks are going to be challenged with false teaching, bad doctrine. I don't have any other option when it comes to these texts other than to say, okay, here we go again. Let's see how the Lord 
speaks in this. I, you know, I, I just kind of poured over it all week. I'm going, I, I've taught on this down through the years how many times? Well, it, evidently it's done some good. It's helped all of us to watch out for that stuff because it's all around us. Um, it's my job. It's my job I, I have to do. And uh, since there's all sorts of doctrine, by the way, boy, can you see it on the Internet? <laughs> You, can you see it on, um, of course, television, uh, hey, radio, the books, you know, all the media, all the different things that come out. So my job description is to emphasize the dangers of the wolves in sheep's clothing, although it may seem rather repetitious. And sometimes on my Facebook, uh, these little pictures pop up with, uh, with a lamb and then over there moving towards the lamb some of you might have seen this picture quite a bit, is uh, another, looks like a sheep coming along, but it has this funny looking head. And uh, it looks like a sheep's head, and it is, but in really in the middle there is the wolf. <laughs> How many times have you guys seen that? Seen that a lot, yeah. That's warning us, and every time I see that I go, you know, that's right, watch out. Watch out, they're, they're always there. The, the enemy loves to use that kind of stuff. So I'm here to help protect you. I mean, you, you need protection on your own, but I'm here to help protect. Uh, if, the, if the spiritual world was free of errors, and there weren't any errors in, in the church today, in Bible teaching, and everything, if there weren't any of that, you know what? We wouldn't have to confront and correct the deadly spiritual diseases that are out there. But unfortunately, in the time that we live in, those false teachings have mounted ever more increasingly since the very first century. So, to lead the church, one has to know the faith and he must believe it to be able to be that kind of shepherd. Uh, He should be able to recognize falsehood when it appears, to explain its error, and to commend the truth persuasively to others. Well, that is the first section, which is our intro. Are you ready for what the Word says? Let's go into that. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. Wow, Paul, you uh, don't hold anything back, do you, Paul? Well, he's inspired by God's Spirit, and no, he doesn't. It's rather upfront. The way that Paul approaches it, well, we need to be more loving, Paul. Uh, Well, when it comes to this kind of stuff, you don't mess with it. And Jesus was the most harsh on people of religion, but believed it uh, in a different way, lived it a different way. Now, the Old Testament has a lot to say about it too. I mentioned the New Testament earlier. But the Old Testament will mention it quite frequently, and one of the most known, I think, would be found in Jeremiah chapter 23. We're just going to read a few verses. It'd be nice to read that whole chapter. It's actually dealing with uh, the coming of the Messiah. And the first two verses, he says, Whoa! Uh, when you see woe, you know that there's something here that's serious. Woe to the shepherds or pastors who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the shepherds who are tending my people. You have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not attended to them. Behold, I am about to tend to you for the evil of your deeds, declares the Lord. Pretty pretty rough. Uh, Same chapter, verse 21. I did not send these prophets, but they ran. 
I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. So I didn't give them that word. They're going around telling people that here's what God told me, here's what the prophecy is that God has given me. But he says, I never even sent them. Whatever they're speaking is not my word. And then in verse 32, Behold, I am against those who have prophesied false dreams, declares the Lord, and related them and led my people astray by their falsehoods and reckless boasting. Yet I did not send them or command them, nor do they furnish this people the slightest benefit, declares the Lord. They, they don't furnish the people the slightest benefit. They're absolutely worthless, like Paul said in this text. Worthless for any good deed. Now, Jeremiah... <clears throat> says in that chapter that God is going to silence them. And that's our first part as we look at this. It's silencing the false teachers. Uh, that's the same spirit that Jeremiah spoke of there. Paul comes in the same spirit as we come into this text. These false teachers have to be silenced. They have to be muzzled. They have to be shut up. Something needs to stop them. Get them out of the pulpit. Whatever it is, stop them right now. Part of spiritual leadership is silencing people who should not speak. And of course, there are many people out in the world who need to have their mouths shut. And I know you guys could think of many. And you start thinking of the politicians. Boy, most of those, those people need to have their mouths shut. How about comedians? Oh my. Boy, their mouths need to be shut. Professors who teach that there is no God and there is evolution and go on and on and on and on with that. They need to have their mouths shut, don't they? How about the media? The newsmen? Boy, they need to have their mouths shut, don't they? The ones who speak false. Movie stars? Most of them need to have their mouths shut as they tell us how our lives really need to be. We need to be as liberal as they are. Talk show hosts? My, do they really need to have their mouths shut? Musicians? Not a musician, God, not godly musicians are speaking their own kind of theology and their thinking of way that life is. And, and many preachers in the church need to have their mouths shut. I think, well, who was it? Uh, uh, John Gerstner said, the ones who speak not these truths, these truths of the Word of God, the doctrines of grace and such, all need to be taken out of the pulpit. Need to be taken out. They're doing worthless deeds. Sounds heavy, but that kind of sounds like what Paul says here, which is the Word of God. Can you see why a lot of people don't like Paul? They'll say, yes, I believe in the Bible except for what Paul wrote. That bigot. There are people who need to have their mouths stopped because they are destructive. And out of their mouths are coming deadly poison right out of their lips. And they speak things that are absolutely false, have nothing to do with the truth of God. And you could almost hope this, and it sounds terrible at first, but I'm going to read you a scripture here, but you could almost hope that their tongues would be cut out, as it says in Proverbs 10.31, as that may have what it has in mind here when it warns this. The mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom, but the perverted tongue will be cut out. Now, you know what? That sounds real good. But then I immediately think, uh, if that started happening, um, I might get my own cut out. <laughs> um, maybe I'd better not be so self-righteous. God will eventually, whatever that means, He will stop their mouths. Matter of fact, in some senses, those mouths are shut. God is speaking today, even though they're still speaking and whatever they're saying. Always remember the uh, Shirley MacLaine. I can't ever forget that in that movie that she had. I am God! I am God! Can you imagine that little voice coming out? I am God! There's the great big God of the universe. He could have shut her down right there. Haven't yet. But He will. He will shut those mouths. Paul is saying that we must silence men in the church if they're causing problems. Saying, well, how can you stop mouths that are in other denominations and such and that kind of thing? Well, you really can't. There are books that are written by certain people who do a very good job telling what they believe and, and uh, telling uh, all the false 
teachings that they have and leading people astray. Um, some people have even came up to them and, and those people that write those kind of things, that preach those on TV and such, they're not accountable. Uh, they have no accountability to the rest of the body of Christ. They could care less that if a man of God came to them and said, what you're teaching is absolutely false. Um, I still to this day cannot forget Benny Hinn writing in his first edition of Whole, uh, Good Morning Holy Spirit where he said there are nine gods. He said, that's right. And he went around preaching it and teaching it. There are nine gods. There are nine gods. The Holy Spirit's three gods and Jesus Christ is three gods and God the Father's three gods. He said, three plus three plus three. That's nine. Nine gods. And he said, yes, Adam even was born as, as or not born, but as he was created, he had all the attributes of all the animals. Yes, like a bird. And he could even fly. Yes, Adam flew in the garden. You don't see any of this stuff in the Bible. What do we have here? Some man just making up anything that he wants, putting it out there, and he's unaccountable. Thomas Nelson Publishers publishes the book. Somebody tells them about it, and they go, hey, don't worry about it. It's okay. Well, some other people... uh, Fortunately, there were enough godly men that who were with Thomas Nelson Publishing and other good preachers out there that approached them and said, "Listen, we, this is this is absolutely awful. It's terrible. I mean, this is false teaching at its worst." And they made a second edition and they wiped that out. But probably what they should have done is wipe out everything else because there were a lot of other terrible things in there too. But that was ghastly. And so there were changes made and there were a few additions that they had to keep doing. If you've got a guy like that writing for you, why would you even want him on you on, on a contract? A guy that's so far out. And that's what's happened to the, the Christian bookstores. And believe me, I'm the one that you could probably ask. And it was difficult sometimes trying to find out what was good to bring in and what was not. Some of them were pretty easy to detect and I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. So I had to watch what I brought in. Sometimes there were automatic things that would happen and we had a good old-fashioned book burning one time. You know, me and Zach would have a good time out in the back. <laughs> Nothing like a good old-fashioned book burning. Well, that'll attract the people on it. <laughs> we had our little fun. So, yeah. uh, Zach, were you in on that one too? Yeah, I think maybe a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was just fun. Letting, letting off a little steam. <laughs> Let's see. That... Um, Oh, one that goes right along with him. Uh, uh, well, Joel would be enough, but uh, it would be, um, uh, what is it? T.D. Jakes, the guy who doesn't believe in the Trinity. Uh, does not believe in the Trinity. Uh, what? Don't give him a chance. Anybody that comes out with things that we know are automatic, they say, yeah, but he's so good in other things. Is he really? He's smooth talking, but he doesn't believe in the Trinity. Uh, he doesn't believe in the same God that I believe in that's biblically. I have problems with that. I'm not going to read or listen to anything that he says. He say, yeah, but listen, look, look at all the people that are attracted by it. That's right. They do attract people because they say things they, the people like to hear. Teaching for itching ears. Say, Dennis, your name and names, you've got to be careful. Yeah, because I am a shepherd and I protect you. And the thing is, those things are false. When things go against things that they are not even negotiable, the deity of Christ uh, the, the Trinity. I mean, those things are not negotiable. Anytime you get somebody messed up on that, you know that they're going to be messed up on a lot of other things. They bring in enough truth, but then they mix in the error, and that's where people are just flooding out there and being led astray. That's a false shepherd, folks. I'm telling you. That guy that does that kind of teaching must be silenced. God will silence him one day. People have written about him. They've warned about him. It's all over the internet with, with the good theologians, and they'll say what uh, all the things that uh, he does, and many, many others. Um, so that's what we say. That's that's what this is about. These kind of things, and you'll see the descriptions here. Um, it says that they are rebellious men. Now in Crete, taking it back to the context, these men were all over the island of Crete. These kind of teachers in the churches where there were no pastors yet, no shepherds. Can you imagine how Paul felt about this? Can you imagine how Titus had to feel about it too? He's going to have to go into these churches and silence, muzzle them. 
He's going to have to shut these guys up. And Paul says, you have to do it. They're speaking lies. There's a real need for leaders to be policemen and to control these kind of men that come into the church. They're rebellious. These men are, are not accountable to the rest of the body of Christ. They don't respond to spiritual authority. They refuse to submit. When, when it says rebellious men, they will not submit to scriptural authority. You can give them scripture and it doesn't matter. They go on teaching. Like whenever I was talking about Benny Hinn, so many times Thomas Nelson got tired of people coming to him so they'd say, hey Benny, you really have to quit saying that. That deal about nine gods, I know it's not in your book anymore. Uh, you've got to quit saying that. He says, okay. And the very next night, he would be out there on stage throwing his jacket around, being a showman. And guess what? There are nine gods. I mean, there's about 10,000 other things I can say, you know, all the things. I'm just using that because it's so obvious. Hey, hey, Benny, you've got to stop that. They would get to him again, call him up on the phone. He says, okay, I'm sorry. Yes, I, I said that I wasn't going to do that. I won't do that again. Next week, guess what? He's doing the same thing again. Absolutely unaccountable to the rest of the body of Christ who are detecting that. They act independently, and even when they're caught in sin, some of these guys down through the years, we've seen uh, the sin, sexual sin problems that they have. They finally show who they are as they collect all the people's money. And then they're told by their denomination, hey, you need to set this out for a little while, you know. Well, the Bible says once you've earned your testimony about, about as far as pastors are concerned, um, they can't be in that position anymore. But a couple weeks later, they rise back up and there they are on TV again. And it's, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I sinned. And they're taking in all the money again. They're not accountable even to their own denominations. We've heard of these people who committed great offenses. And they keep spouting off false teaching. They're rebellious men. Well, that's the way they were in, in Crete. They're also empty talkers. These guys are so smooth and they're eloquent. And they say things that sound so right. They're persuasive. And you know what? There's nothing there. It's empty. Empty talkers. It's all hot air. It's fluff. They have nothing of spiritual edification at all. And they sound really cool. But they talk about nothing. And they make it sound like something. Because they're not preaching the Word. Would they ever teach on a passage where we're at here today? Would you ever hear of them talking about it? No, because it would condemn them. They don't ever talk about that kind of stuff. They don't speak the truth of the Word of God. They're also called deceivers. Rebellious men, empty talkers, deceivers. Wow, Paul, you're kind of getting hard here, aren't you? They make people think what they say is truth when it's not. They're very subtle. And it sounds good. They say fanciful things. Mystical things. They make people feel good. Uh, like I say, the, the tickling of itching ears. And people love those. They love that. That's the kind of guy they hire. They want to hear that all the time. We have so much of that today. A little bit of God's Word and a whole lot of imagination, fantasies, visions, revelations, dreams. A little bit of the Word of God. And you say, well, they're preaching the Bible and all of a sudden they go into stories. Deceivers. People can be intrigued so easily and fooled so easily. You ever seen sheep wandering off? You ever watch sheep? <laughs> or heard about the, you know, how they do it? They, that's, you know, they go off, you know, and they're feeding on the grass and everything. I think it's really cool over here, and all of a sudden they're way out there. Shepherd has to go get them, and sometimes they can be in a ravine or whatever, and he has to use his staff and, or his crook and bring them out of there and bring them back to the fold. They just take off. That's, you know, that's, people have a nature that they're just intrigued with. Really cool sounding stuff. Well, the Word of God is cool. I don't need anything. I don't need people's stories. I don't need their dreams and all that. I need this because this is what's going to do good for me. And then it says of the circumcision. And going back into the context there, we see this constantly. Evidently, Paul ran into it. And all uh, all the churches ran into this. It seemed like there were Jewish people who identified with the church, said they were believers, said they were Christians, but they were Judaizers. They say, we know God and we know Jesus, but 
We know Him a little bit better because we were circumcised and we put our confidence in the commandments, human commandments, in in the myths. They had the myths that they added to. We have all of this and so we're... We have it a little bit better. You need to you need to add these things to Jesus, you know. And so they were the Judaizers. They kept their Jewishness, which is okay, but all those things they didn't need anymore is Christ and Christ alone, right? So the person and work of Christ, we don't add to, we don't concentrate on anything else. That is what is important. The person and work of Christ. All false cults, every one of them since the first century, have erred on the person and work of Christ. They don't have the biblical view of the person of Christ and that they emphasize outward conformity to man-made rules. I think of Acts 10, verse 45, and this is whenever the Jewish people who actually had become Christians were realizing there was a change Peter's speaking here and the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. And verse 45 says, all the circumcised believers, Jewish believers, who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Isn't that interesting? The Jews are realizing it's coming to the Gentiles. The Jews don't have to convince them that they are to be circumcised. They're just like us. And, and to, to show the convincing that the Gentiles were just like the Jews, it says, for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. God used that as a sign to show, hey, these Gentiles are cool. That's how you came into the church to show that you were now a believer. And guess what? To them, now to Gentiles is coming. This is the first time it really happens as a group. This is Peter as he introduces the gospel. And uh, then he talks about uh, the people being baptized in water in the name of Jesus Christ. And so they, they had become believers. They didn't need... He, he didn't say, okay, now they have to be circumcised. Peter knew full well that that's not the case. In chapter 11, verse 2, when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. And there you get into the eating laws and rituals and regulations that they had. Peter was really instructed in chapter 10 what that was all about by the vision of the animals that God gave him. And now it's open to everybody, right? Or you can eat those foods. But even more importantly, Jews and Gentiles, they're both in the same body. So, Paul says in verse 11, now back to Titus 1, they must be silenced. They're upsetting whole families, teaching things they shouldn't be teaching. How's that to be done? How are they supposed to shut these guys up? How's Titus going to do this? Uh, Paul, could you could you come to the island and, and uh, help me out here? Oh, Paul's got his things to do. Titus is really getting um, quite a, a job to do. This is not politically correct to go into the churches to these people who were teaching falsely and come in and say, "Hey, you're stopped. You're done." Out. No more of that. It wasn't coexist bumper stickers that he was bringing along. And it wasn't, we must tolerate everything. No, he had to bring in truth and these guys are going to be stopped. What are they doing? They're upsetting whole families. One of the best things to do is get people alone. Get them isolated. Uh, go to go to their homes, creep into homes and isolate and captivate the families. They they produce confusion and doubt, and then all of a sudden you got family disagreements and arguments, and that's been known. And boom, you know, then you know some people are one is kicked out of the house or leaves or whatever, and now you got that. It's chaos. Cults come to our homes. You ever notice that? Oh, they love to come to our homes, knock on the door, and get their foot in. They would love to sit down there and espouse their doctrines and show what they believe. Even though you might have questions on what they believe, they want to stay with the structure that they know and they feel comfortable. They may sound like they really know what they're talking about. Boy, they can be really tricky. Wow, they really got that down. They impress people. 
And the thing is, there have been certain things that they have been schooled, they've been taught what to say. Do they know the rest of the Bible? Well, obviously not. When you start, start talking about the person of Christ and you talk about that He is deity and He is the One, the things that they've been instructed on, they're going to fall short on a lot of Scriptures that you give them. And they'll go, I'll be back with you. And if they do come back, they'll bring somebody else with them. Because they're not strong enough to answer that. See, Scripture always answer those things. Um, what Paul is saying is don't give them a platform. Somebody is teaching false doctrine that's against God's Word and truth. Don't give them the, the stage. Don't give them the microphone. Don't give them a chance to teach. And then also overpower them with spiritual truth. That's how you win. You do it with spiritual truth. And also your life out of holy conduct. Living a life of holiness will also overpower them. Because those false teachers, if you dig far enough, you find out where they're really at, you'll find out they're doing all sorts of things that are against Scripture. If they teach wrong things, they're going to live wrongly. And you'll find out. It probably will start with legalism or the other way where they're just as loose as live in their living. Uh, look in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6. Here's some of the things they were doing. And then Paul writes to Timothy, a pastor, and says, hey, I want you to watch out for these guys. He says, For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Oh, they love to encroach upon them because they are the easiest to get. Go in Bring them into the fold. How many times have I seen that? Quite often. Teaching what shouldn't be taught, totally misrepresenting God's Word. And what is their motive here? For the sake of sordid gain. There's a gain here. What do you think that gain usually is? Uh, (laughs) They're going to get something out of it. Some of them make a lot. Some of them make millions. They have million dollar mansions that claim the name of Christ. They're on TV and um, they wouldn't lift a finger to help anybody. But uh, it's all for sort of gain. Look in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5. Constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Um, It's talking about error and greed. They have a godliness, but it's not the true biblical godliness. They look like they're holy. They look like they're right. But it's for... Gain If they look godly and they have the right kind of hair all piled up and it's white and whatever. Or a lot of hair. I'm just jealous because they have a lot of hair. Some of them probably bald. Anyway, they have quite the motive, I think. Their qualifications for the elder is that they be free from the love of money. Remember that? False teachers seem to have the opposite quality. Whatever is stated here about the the true teacher, the overseer, probably you'll see the very opposite on almost all those qualifications in verses 5 through 8 of what an elder is. They're usually opposite of that if you find out what they're really about. There has to be cancer surgeons that are intolerant with cancer. They have to get it out. Or any kind of something that is wrong with somebody, whenever there has to be a surgery, there's, there's, a, there's, there's a reason for that surgery. And the Word of God has to get out cancer, disease that's in the church. And that's why the language that is used here, and it gets even stronger, this is not something that you'd want to read to somebody who's not a Christian and saying, yeah, we're very loving. I want to show you this one. Look at this. 
probably take it wrong, but we, we understand here. Um, look at the character here as we move into verse 12. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Cretans, I want you to take this back here. I want, you, I want you to go back to our introduction when we talked about the Cretans. They have a bad reputation. Everybody knows about the Cretans. Eh, I think of San Francisco today. I don't have a lot of good things to think about there. I know it's a beautiful city in the rolling hills and all the different, you know, Fisherman's Wharf and Chinatown, all that's really cool. But man, that's the home of the homosexuals. It seemed like the capital where everything came from. And then you think of Las Vegas. You start thinking of Miami. How about Chicago? <laughs> One of the worst cities for crime ever, Miami. Just go on and on and on and on. Look at those, then you can start thinking even small towns. How about Columbia, who used to be the number one city uh, to, to, to move to, to live in, <laughs> back a decade ago or so. Now you're hearing more and more and more of crime, right? Well, Crete is bad. It's so bad that even a, a few hundred years ago, there was this, whenever Paul wrote this, there was this man by the name of Epimenides. He doesn't name him here, but that's who this is. A prophet of their own. Uh, and you can, it can go be going back into the writings and see this. They're, they're always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. He came from there. <laughs> he was from the town. And I bet you they threw things at him and everything when he wrote that, right? No, he's held in high esteem by the Cretans. Even hundreds of years later. This is one of their most famous men that they ever had. Highly respectable. He was a poet, revered, famous. He was one of the seven wise men of Greece as far as philosophy is concerned. He was a profound intellect and a great orator. This man, this man Epimenides, wrote this book, wrote this poet. He says, one of your own poets, the guys that you revere so much, look what he said about your island. This is one of the worst places to live. It's horrible. You know what? God set up churches there. Even the worst of the worst, the filth, was converted. But guess what they're carrying into the church? And you remember the book of Corinth. And you know what Corinthian eyes means? The immorality that they had. Well, here are the Cretans. Now, there, some of you might have heard of Cicero. And he wrote this, Moral principles are so divergent that the Cretans consider highway robbery honorable. <laughs> highway robbery? Actually, robbing people on the highways, it's an honorable thing to do. Well, when you don't have any wrongs or rights, what happens? That's how you get to that situation. If God lets this nation go for more years, I'm sure it will be like a Crete if it isn't already. Paul's point is that the national character here lent strength to this platform of the false teachers. Because with that kind of background that they had, and that's what they carried and everything, that gave the false teachers strength in troubling the church. <laughs> they can do that. They can get away with it. Anything goes. You know what? Crete really speaks to us here in America today. Because I think the same thing could be said about the influence of the American culture on the American church. I think the church is where Crete was at when it needed pastors, elders, to come and preach the Word and get those guys out of the pulpit and to speak the truth of the Word of God. So, they're liars. Paul said, you guys are liars. And I, the reason I can say that is because one of your own wrote that. One of your best, one of your finest said this. You're liars. Whole island is full of liars. Well, if you're doing false teaching, what are you doing? You're lying. They bragged about having the, truth, uh, the tomb. 
of Zeus. <laughs> now, you go, okay. Well, first of all, Zeus is a mythological figure, right? There really was no man-god like Zeus. But in mythology there was. But they bragged about having the tomb there. There's only one problem. Zeus was supposed to be a deity who couldn't die. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? A, a god who couldn't die. This particular god couldn't die, so he didn't die. But they have the tomb and he's supposed to be in it. Dead. <laughs> Liars. Brag about that kind of thing. There's a verb in the Greek language. This is, this is really cool. You might not have heard of this. You, you know about Corinthianize? You've heard of that, right? That's how Corinth really got its name. Actually, how the the word really came around and the, the immorality and such, and they'd use it, oh, you're doing the Corinthian thing. Well, guess what? Same thing on this island of Crete. The Greek word, Cretizo, Cretizo, means what? To lie. The word. Hey, I'm going to go over to the island, the island of lying. That's what it is. That's what it means. That's how bad it was. So the Greek word, the verb kritizo, is to mean to be lying. So it's not surprising that Crete would have the problem of false teachers in the church because that's what the people did best anyway. That's what they carried in there. They lied lied all the time. Now, is this bringing a little bit of attention to this section as Paul writes to Titus knows this stuff he's been there evil beast they're ruled by their passions by their lust their desires they have instincts like animals lazy gluttons is another one they're lazy gluttons oh, that's not a good one to be saying around Thanksgiving <laughs> the literal Greek means slow bellies they're, it means they're overindulged in everything. They are uncontrolled. They're eating, their lust, their greed, their self-indulgence. They're, they're fat-bellied, lazy gluttons with sensual passions and lust. And what was said by the great poet Epimenides was still true when Paul wrote this letter. Just like it was when Epimenides was there. Now, that's pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? But we're going to continue on. It's pretty heavy here. This testimony is true. What he wrote, the poet. For this reason, reprove him severely. Quite an adjective there. The Bible is not always kind and nice and loving and flowery. When it comes to false teaching, God does not put up with it. He takes it very seriously when people mishandle His Word. And as I study through this through the week, I'm praying, Lord, whatever I say, that it may all be truth. I may not be able to speak it out in the way that it needs to be said, maybe the way that I put words together, but everything that I teach, may it be truth and not some kind of error that I'm purporting to people. And that's why I don't take my own interpretation of things. That's why I read um, the Greek text and try to understand what the Greek is saying after I've gone over what, what's the context of all this and then get a lot of help from a lot of writers down through the years. The dead men and the guys that are still with us today, the ones that are solid and we know that they are true. And, and granted, we, we can all be wrong on certain things, but I don't want to have some kind of doctrine or error here that would affect us. I never want to have some kind of error. Um, that's uh, I'm accountable for that to God. That's why it says, let there not be many teachers, because uh, anybody and everybody, and they're not accountable to what this is, it can be uh, really something. So I, I say that in a humble way, because I, I, I realize how um, serious God takes His Word and to handle it. Uh, I... Uh, I, I should be trembling to touch this word. Reprove means to convince of errors. Reprove them. Convince them of their errors. They're to be shown the truth. 
And there's a reason for it. So that they'd have sound doctrine. If you go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul said the same thing. You ever notice Timothy and Titus kind of go together? <laughs> the pastoral letters? Very close in a lot of things. Paul says to Timothy, I solemnly charge you. <laughs> now this is humbling. In the presence of God in Christ Jesus. That's serious. Who is to judge the living and the dead. That's even more serious. The judge of the universe. And by His appearing in His kingdom, here's what you're to do, Timothy. Here's what you are assigned to do. And all pastors, preach the Word. That is what a pastor does. Be ready in season and out of season. Whether it's convenient or not convenient. Reprove. There's that word. Rebuke. Exhort. That's not comfortable. With great patience. There's your balance. And instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We're familiar with this, aren't we? Read this many times. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. You do this, Timothy. You make sure you stick with this. So how do you know if somebody is teaching on the radio, teaching on the TV, they might be very good. They might be so-so, but they might be very bad for you. How do you know? How do you detect? Well, here's what you do. First of all, you say, okay, where are they at in the Bible? What are they taking this from? Is there a text that they're dealing with? Secondly, then ask, what are they doing with this text? Are they explaining it? What it means? What this is about? Are they explaining how this is to apply to our lives and how it's supposed to change us? Is that what they're talking about? Or do they start with the reading of the Scripture, start to say something about it, and then five minutes later, they're way over here, way outside in left field, and they're telling you all sorts of stories and cool things and all the things that you can have. You know what? Boom. Just turn that off. Go to another channel. I don't care. That is bad stuff. Are they on the Scripture and are they teaching that Scripture? Are they doing it correctly? That's how you can tell if somebody is biblical. Usually, They can still stay on a Scripture, let's say, but be teaching wrong things. Usually they don't do that though. They'll usually go off because they don't have anything. They don't have this. They don't have interpretations. They have their stories. They're about, it's about them. Are they proclaiming God and how great His truth is? Are they proclaiming about me? Send your money to me. Me and you. Make you feel good. right? And if that's the case, you might be on to somebody who's one of these. That's a good way to detect it. It's all about the Word of God. He says severely. Paul writes to Titus and says severely. It's a word that's very strong in the Greek. It's apotamos. Apo means to cut off. To cut off a knife is the idea. To cut off with a knife and just hack it. It's like a limb that you've cut off. There's a branch a limb and, and boom, you take your axe and cut that off right in the middle of it. The, the, the cut is meant so that there would be a cure. And that's, it's like what a good surgeon does. He makes a good cut so there will be a cure. And that's what all this is about, ultimately, severely, so that they may be sound in the faith. That's the reason you want them to be sound in the faith. And then it says reject them. Reprove them. If, if they continue on to do what they do, then turn away from them. Reject that error. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4. Back to Timothy again. Easy today. And then going back to Scripture, it's just back a book of it too. 1 Timothy 1, um, 1, 4. In order to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God which is by faith. So, um, 
chapter 4, verse 7. Same thing again here. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. I don't know what that means. <laughs> On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Actually, I do, but we need to get back to Titus. Um, have nothing to do with those fables. Um, we have to rebuke, reproof, cut off the opportunity that they have in that teaching. If they're teaching false stuff, get them out. Cut that off, that opportunity. That'd be sound in the faith. That, that's healthy. Spiritual growth, maturity. If teaching just feeds curiosity, it's probably not healthy doctrine. Now, lastly, verse 15 and 16. Here's God's evaluation. He looks inwardly. He looks at the heart. Because sometimes they can have all the outward and look good. But God knows what they really are. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. So here's the inward evaluation. Now remember, the context is still Jewish, you know, circumcision and all that. So they believed in this, and it's a a very cultish thing, that if you did all the ceremonies and you kept all the traditions, you fulfill all the commandments of, of men, you do all the things that you're supposed to do on this outward thing, you, you actually are purifying yourself. If you do all these things, all these commands and everything that they have, up, then that's how you get to the inward. You start with the outward. You do great things and that will purify you. In other words, they're working from the outside to in. That's the exact exact opposite of what Jesus talked about. He says that it comes from within. It starts here. He starts an inward work in us. Uh, that's what sacramental religions are about. Sacerdotal religions, legalistic religions, ceremonial religions, ritualistic religions, any kind of form like that. Uh, it's the same thing as Judaism does. The whole idea of all that stuff is... What you do on the outside, they say, affects the way that you are on the inside. That's their whole idea. And that's what sacramental religion is. If you're pure on the inside, then everything that you do outwardly then will be pure. If it starts here, it's an inward thing as he said here. To the pure, all things are pure. If you have been changed on the inside then those things you do outwardly are good things. Um, If you're rotten inwardly, then everything that you do will be rotten. To those who are defiled and unbelieving on the inside, then nothing is pure. They can do all the things that they want. Boy, they can be doing great things. You know, They can be reading the Word and they can be taking communion, but if there's nothing on the inside, it's corrupt. It's rotten. And everything you touch is going to be rotten. So what happens on the inside is the, the issue here in verse 15 and 16. And that's what uh, it's all leading to, as Paul writes this. They push Christ away. They push the truth away. All at the same time saying they believe in Christ and they believe in the truth. And they start bringing in mystical experiences. That's what the Jews did. They had ceremonial observances. They tried to purge the inside with what doesn't work from the outside. They're so defiled on the inside, he says in verse 15. Their mind and their conscience, as you'll notice at the end of verse 15, both their mind and their conscience. He's trying to show you the depth of the internal defilement or the depravity. Mind and conscience. Their mind is defiled. If your mind is defiled, everything else is going to go wrong if you don't think right, right? Uh, That's their thoughts. Their desires. It's their intellect, right? And the conscience is defiled, means they have no discerning faculties. There's really no discernment. And then we see the outward evaluation. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny. And they say, We observe all the traditions 
and the commandments. We do this and do that in the ceremonies. And we've ascended to a higher level. It's almost like you get into the Gnosticism that would later be coming in. We know God. They're evaluating themselves in their own pride, aren't they? And what they've done. He says they profess to know God and they're in a higher situation and they know better than anybody else. They think I have a super knowledge of God. And the truth is, if you take a look at their deeds, they actually deny Christ. Look in Matthew 7, verse 20. Probably very familiar with this one. So Jesus is saying the same thing that Paul is saying here. Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of My Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to Me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name and in Your name cast out demons and in Your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew You. Depart from Me, You who practice lawlessness. So it's the ones who hear the Word of God and then do it. Not doing outward symbol things that seem to be religious, but doing the the things of God that uh, He has us do by the by the Spirit and the Word. Now He says they're de- uh, they deny Him being detestable. They're detestable. That means to be repulsive. It means to be abominable. It means to be despicable to God. A um, good way to think of it is um, if used of heathen images, uh, idolatry, which is detestable to God. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's an abomination, right? That's the, the root meaning of that. Detestable, and they're disobedient. They don't really obey God. And they're worthless for any good deed. They're absolutely worthless. It takes you right back to Jeremiah 23.32. They're useless. They provide nothing. They're, they're hot air. They're wind. These people have to be silenced because they do damage to the kingdom of God. And um, although to us, you know what? I don't really have to remind any of you guys really, but in another sense, I am. It's it's my job to do. But it is good to be reminded. And if we can go back to church history, we can see how this has always been. There was Marcion who reacted against the Christian message, said he was a Christian. He denied the God of the Old Testament was the Christian God. He denied the abiding authority of the law of God. And he went into asceticism and a celibate lifestyle. After Marcion, then there were the Gnostics, and we know about the Gnostics. And then the Arianism came in. This was very early. You know, very early church um, up to that uh, present day right now. Arianism is very uh, popular. That's Jehovah's Witnesses and saying that Jesus is not God. We have denials in every form about our Redeemer. Pelagius came along in the 4th century and uh, he taught salvation by godly living and you have an in you of yourself and you don't even need the grace of God. You already can do that and satisfy God. Then there was Socinius. And uh, dealing. of course you have false teachers of Christ bearing the sins on the cross taught in a different way. We, we teach that uh, Christ died specifically for our sins. He took our place, a substitutionary atonement. That may sound like, who, who doesn't believe that in the Christian realm? Well, I don't want to be shocking you, but I'll shock you a lot. I never dreamed of how many people don't believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins in a substitutionary way and in a penalty way. He paid the penalty because there was the wrath of God. And some say, God would not put the wrath on anybody. So therefore, there's not a penalty to be paid. And so therefore, Jesus really died. And to get down around to it, the, the, the true original Arminian faith said He didn't really die for the sins there. What He really did was to, uh, to, to take on it was a, a punishment way. Or, or you know, the... Um, what is that? Suffering. Suffering. That's the right word. That's what I'm looking for. Thank you, Bob. It was all about suffering. Not dying for sins. That is an Arminian belief. Wow. It goes on and on and on. Then you you look at great men of God, whether it be Augustine or...
Calvin and Knox, John Owen and Bunyan, Whitfield, Edwards and Simeon, J.C. Ryle, Charles Spurgeon, almost all those guys, those churches that they preach the Word of God in are dying or are dead. The churches are dead. Had such a great heritage. Is because of their own self-inflicted wound. Liberalism. Same thing as it's false teaching. If you love your souls, love the souls of your children, you'll care about the battle that Paul is calling on all of us to fight. It's to stand up for truth. We'll we'll care about being equipped with the Word of God and serving Him faithfully in this battle and protecting what is truth and watching out for the so-called many people who are out to deceive us in some way. They're there. Let's go to the Lord.